0: Everyone, I hope you're really, really well. I wanted to jump in here to just welcome you to this episode. We've had a collision of worlds, a joining of forces, a banding of brothers, if you will. Sash from Principal Design and me, I'm Sean from Open Pantry Consulting. We are pleased to announce this exciting venture, Principal Hospitality. Now, really, it's a holistic view and look the food and beverage industry in this country, designed with hospitality professionals in mind. The website's coming soon. Obviously, you're listening to the podcast right now, but what we're trying to do here, our goal is to provide hospitality professionals with a platform to connect with people from all aspects of the food and beverage industry, from business owners to front of house and service staff, chefs to baristas and SOMs. We want to make sure that we are supporting you through this recovery in the hospitality area. So hope you're really enjoying the podcast. If you are, please make sure that you're sharing it with your friends in the industry and you're letting them listen to this because we are really putting so much time and energy and passion into this project and we want to make sure it's delivering for you. Let's get into this episode. I hope you really, really enjoy it. Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. It is fantastic to have you listening along. So thanks for tuning in for another episode. And pizza is one of the most popular uh brands in the u.s it is an amazing pizza brand it's doing things for all the right reasons having 48 locations all across the u.s uh has been around for the last four or five years and uh i'm really really excited to talk to the president today andy hooper about how they're actually going to grow this brand post pandemic and what they're looking forward to in the future so andy thanks so much for joining me on today's podcast
1: thanks sean excited to be here today
0: Um, yeah, fantastic to have you on. I mean, I mean, as I said to you just before, like, and Peter is a, is a brand that I've looked to, um, really fondly in the U S for the last couple of years, mainly at the start because of, you know, the marketing stuff that was happening in regards to the brand and, you know, the really cool thing around, um, the weddings that happened in store, um, and all those great things that got great publicity and the amount of, um, the amount of great capital that you've been able to raise with some great funds over the years. Um, I want to get into that and I want to get into the, to the moral compass of the brand as well because that is really, really different and innovative and something that a lot of brands, especially here in Australia, can learn from. So before we get into that though, how did you start out um, in the industry and how did it come to be that you became you know, the president of Ann Pizza?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I'm a lifelong restaurant guy. Mm -hmm. Um, When I finished university for me, it was, it was straight into the restaurant business. And Mm -hmm. the first job I had had prior was washing dishes in a full service restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, I spent the first decade of my career with Burger King uh, and it was a great experience to work for a huge global brand, uh, both company and franchise locations, ton of learning both U S and outside of the States. Mm -hmm. And after that, I got a chance to work on growing a regional Mexican chain out of Salt Lake City in Utah uh, in the States called Cafe Rio. Mm -hmm. And a ton of fun, great brand, rabid fan base, exceptional food, um, really, really great and a ton of fun. Um, And, you know, I honestly probably wouldn't have left, um, but I had circled on my kind of target list a few companies that I felt like got it, you know, that had a business model, had a moral compass, yeah. had the kind of financing and vision and had, you know, creative leadership at the top. Mm-hmm. And I had met Michael Astoria, who was the founder of Ant Pizza, yep. you know, a couple of years prior and and was really struck by what I saw as a huge opportunity to change the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, for most of my career, I was an HR professional. I grew up in the HR business, mm-hmm. ultimately was the chief people officer, um, you know, for, for that organization. And then moved into a broader general management role. And so I've always had kind of people and people development at the heart of who I am. Yes. And, you know, wanted to make a real impact. And, and I think and pizza provides this really interesting opportunity where you've got a, you know, a cuisine type, which is clearly accepted not just in the States, but around the world. Yes. Um, a business model that's inherently scalable. Mm-hmm. And then in our case, a bunch of things that are in the wood of the company that are typically viewed as headwinds in mm. the hospitality industry, higher mm. wages, higher quality food, more effort and emphasis and in investment into the brand mm. that were already part of this business model. And in my mind, when you're looking to scale something, mm. you want something that can scale with all of that, not have to fight against that the whole way. And so that was really a turning point for me in my decision to join Michael. Yeah. When
0: when you were... Thinking about those brands, like which one you join and, and that kind of stuff, was it was it always going to be Ann Pizza or like how did you how did you look at the industry as a whole and decide that that was going to be the one that you um, that you wanted to join? Was it was it that conversation a couple of years beforehand with Michael that really spurred that decision?
1: It was certainly what what sort of lit the flame, mm. what I would say, you know, what ultimately takes it to a full blown fire is when you open up the hood and you check, you do mm. your diligence on a potential partnership and you say like, is this really what it says it is? Yes. And you know, in my case, it was really important to make sure that not, that, the, not just the brand and the leader made sense, but that the bones and the structure of the business were actually set up to scale. Yes. And I think, you know, one of the things that's amazing about, um, the fast casual industry broadly speaking is, is actually like how little innovation is present there. Like so much of that industry is essentially just people taking a QSR concept and adding the ability for you to watch your food being made in front of you. Yes. But effectively the labor pool, the branding, the product offering is essentially just quick service Yeah. or a full service restaurant basically chipping away at hospitality and giving you like hospitality light, but the same product mix. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of people saw in the States, a lot of people saw Chipotle in the late nineties, early two thousands, even into the late two thousands and the run up that they had. Mm. And I think they mistakenly identified the service model there as the differentiator yeah, and like the service model had been there forever. I mean, like subway you can watch your sandwich made in front of you. <laughs> yes. The service model does not make a great brand and it <laughs> certainly doesn't make a compelling job offering for people. Mm-hmm. It's just a different way of not having a diewall wall in the middle of your kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I think when I looked at hand pizza, it was, it was actually special. Like it was a special brand. It was creatively led and trying to stay fresh and keep things interesting and not stamp out, 30,000 units that looked exactly the same. Mm. It was a brand that was not saying, how do I hold labor costs down? But rather, how do I make the P&L work with investments into my people? And, you know, it wasn't saying, how do I cut costs in terms of food quality? It was like, which things can we do that will improve food quality and predictability? And I think, Mm. you know, in the restaurant industry, a lot of managers that do well, do well, because there are very predictable KPIs and standards for them to follow. Yes. And there's not a lot of variation. And like, Mm. when you do that, you can turn somebody's attention and gaze from having to be, you know, a detective to getting to be a coach. Mm -hmm. And as an HR leader, as a human capital leader by trade, when those things line up, you see a big opportunity to say this thing can be not just hundreds, but thousands, or maybe even tens of thousands of units someday. Yes. And when you think about the fact that the hospitality industry, in the States at least, is the second largest private employer in the country, Mm. that is impact. You look at impact, like how many lives can you change if 10% of America's workforce has their paradigm changed for the better? And for me, that was the value proposition, and that's why I came.
0: Was it, was it a bit of an awakening moment when you came into the brand and you really saw underneath the hood and you understood what Michael and the team were sort of had created and, and were really starting to develop? Like, because everything you've just spoken about is very different to how my career started out in the industry, you know, over 20 years ago now. Like, um, we would care about our people, but we wouldn't deeply care about our people because we didn't want to get too connected and, and tech was obviously starting to form, but it was way too expensive and that kind of stuff. And and you know you would as a brand you would never talk about you know um, politics or you never talk about you know um, other other things in moral standing or social society. Like was that was that a bit of an awakening when you came into the brand, even though you sort of knew what you were uh, what you were signing up for when you came in?
1: I think you know what I found when I got here mm. was you know very good intentions mm-hmm. and great bones. but you know what Michael I think was looking for and what I' what I'm hopefully doing with the team after the last three years is providing the structure to scale something that's intimate. Yes, you know, I think a, a lot of times as brands grow, they move from that intimacy of single unit or small chain operations, whether it's that sense of family, you know franchisees, Um, you know, like I remember talking to a Hungry Jack's franchisee when I was Mm. at Burger King back in the day. And like, you know, this idea of like small groups of people that are like up in each other's business and know their life is a very different paradigm than like large national chains that span countries.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, you know, for me, the bones were there, but the structure wasn't. And I think the key and the challenge and the nuance is how do you take what you know to be true about scaling brands in terms of the necessary standard operating procedures, the necessary mm-hmm. guardrails, mm-hmm. et cetera. And then how do you allow for people to be the best version of themselves and not have to conform? Yeah. And, you know, within An pizza, it's kind of the fundamental value proposition here is that you can be who you are because the procedures are architected in such a way where it's less about your technical competency mm. and more about your personality. And I think that's gold. Like when a restaurant can Absolutely. find- a model mm. where you can hire just about anybody yes, as long as their judgment is good. Yes. And then you can talk about things that you can't talk about otherwise, right? You could talk mm. about political issues. You can talk about so issues of social justice because you're now on the same side of the table. You're yes. working together. You're able to talk about that collectively. And I think, one thing that a lot of brand leaders uh, make mistakenly do is that, as they try to keep too much distance between themselves and their people, mm-hmm. they think somehow that it's possible to keep work life and home life separate. Yeah, and I think if there's nothing else that we've learned over the last ten months, you know, across the world during this pandemic, They're together. It's that, <laughs> yeah, those lines are inherently blurred. Yes. And like one of the coaches I had early on in my career was very uh, astute. You know, he he helped me really understand that. Um, your head and your heart are like they're inside you. Yeah. Like you're not going to be able to separate them or leave them behind. And this idea that somehow you could be financially struggling outside of work or experiencing homelessness outside of work Mm -hmm. or hungry outside of work and somehow partition that off in your psyche when you Mm -hmm. come to work at a service job and like serve guests and not have that impact you. That's preposterous. I mean like there's, that's, that's the dumbest thing ever. And like, management theory is kind of like rooted in this idea that if you're a leader, you got to separate work and home and Mm -hmm. like to chip away at the humanity of that is to really undercut what's possible in the industry. And so for me, you know, as I lead the team day in and day out, I try to reframe a lot of those paradigms and questions instead Mm -hmm. of saying, how do I not do this? Or how do I save on labor? Mm -hmm. You flip the question and say, how do I invest and deliver the same amount of profitability? Like, it's a lot of it is in framing and a lot of it is in the humanity of understanding that people just can't leave who they are outside of work, outside of work. It's just not possible. So leaning into that and creating a space where there's trust yes, is, is far preferred for building a long-term sustainable uh, product.
0: Yeah. Without a doubt. I think safety and making, making sure that your team feels safe in order to have a conversation with you that sometimes is hard. And hopefully a lot of the time is celebratory is, is really, really critically important. So, um, can't agree with you more. Um, I know a lot of brands, Andy, during this time have had some downtime um and that has allowed them to think about their brands in, in probably different ways and and maybe for the first time because they're usually just going gun ho and, and not thinking about the end goal. When when you came into Ann Pizza and you're saying about the bare bones of the brand and and your building on top of that, was there a couple of things that you sort of did within the first twelve months? Um, that were really important for your from a team perspective in order to build the right culture um, and grow on the great culture that was already there before before you entered. So make sure that those bare bones had some had some muscle and some meat on it because I think a lot of the people listening would actually learn a lot from that um,
1: that journey. Sure, uh, you know when I joined, I mean the company wasn't in its infancy.
2: Mm. Um,
1: you know it had just opened its twenty second location. Yep. And so, so there were some reps under the belt. Mm-hmm. I think what's different at that point is that you know, much like uh, you know, much like folks that that advance in their own career from operating a single location to being given the keys to three or four. Yes, it's a case of of what got you there won't get you to the next spot. And mm-hmm. I think the best description I have is that the organization still had a ton of that, uh, you know, can do kind of advertising agency scrum methodology, like everybody go to the problem Mm -hmm. and that like, if you were watching it, it looks a little bit like third graders playing soccer instead of, you know, professionals playing soccer where people stay in their position and work the field differently.
2: And
1: and I don't think that's, that's not really a judgment on the organization at that time. It's more like that's what most organizations look like when they're 15 to 20 units. There's still Mm -hmm. a lot of third grade soccer going on ball Mm -hmm. goes to the corner all 11 people on the field run to the corner mm-hmm. and you know and I think when you start talking about the way that I should probably say football not soccer in this case right but like the way that the game is played changes as mm. you get older and that's the same thing in scaling a restaurant concept you start mm. to look for games that are much more infinite in their scale yes. than the ones that are like right in front of you you know mm. they're When you're an entrepreneur and you start something from scratch, often urgency and importance are the same thing. Yes. Uh, Over time, the separation between urgency and importance becomes very clear. And you start Mm. to understand that the things that just because they are important does not mean they must be solved right now. It just means you must have an awareness of the fact that this is something that must be solved. And, you know, that's a muscle that needs to build. And so I think one of the things that the organization has really built over the last three years is a longer time horizon for evaluating the return on their time invested. Yeah. It went early on the return on invested capital, or in this case, human capital and time mm-hmm. has a much shorter payback schedule, right? Mm-hmm. You're an entrepreneur, uh, there, you don't have sales on Wednesday, like you dang well better have sales on Thursday, otherwise you're screwed. Yes. Like, you, there, urgency and importance are the same thing, otherwise mm. you're not paying the bills. And as that happens over time, you start to set up systems, you start to set up guardrails, you start to establish what the standard deviation of performance and expectations are yes. in a way that allows you to be able to do that at scale across greater geographies and across different types of people.
0: Mm. I want to talk a bit about... Um... A bit about COVID, if that's okay. Um, Obviously, as you're, you know, sitting in in America and obviously in Washington at the moment, um, you're dealing with still a crisis that's happening in the US. How are you managing that as a communication standpoint to your team on a sort of daily and a weekly basis to making sure that um, your team are still feeling that safety with inside your organisation and and making sure that and pizza is a happy place to, to come and work still? Like, I imagine that would be a big challenge.
1: Yeah, I mean certainly the hospitality industry in particular, and as we were talking before, mm. you know, lockdown in Melbourne, like you know, during those first hundred days, and how restrictive that is, and how mm. how much that puts pressure on the hospitality industry and, and kills it in that yes. scenario. Yeah. In in the early days of the pandemic here, say March of 2020, mm. um, as a team, we made quick bold decisions about how to invest in our people to send the clear message to them that their safety, not just physical safety or physiological safety, but even emotional and financial safety was our top priority. Yes. On the on the 13th of March, before many cities went into lockdown, um, we immediately gave everybody in the business at the shop level a dollar an hour raise. Uh, we immediately put into place a benefits program that got, gave them subsidized transportation with Lyft to and from their pizza shop. Wow. We immediately removed waiting periods on paid sick leave. Mm. We extended the definition to include care for their family or for their children, for those that ended up with kids at home on Zoom immediately overnight. Yeah. Um and we extended benefits to folks who were exposed long before the CDC had even given guidance to companies about mm-hmm. how you responded if and when you might have had a positive case mm-hmm. outside of work or even at work. Yeah. And I think because we did that immediately before Amazon, before Starbucks, um, you know, before Target, before these huge companies that had far more resources than we did,
2: yeah,
1: our workforce looked at us and said, huh. Like these guys clearly don't have a war chest of cash like Amazon does yet. They're still doing the right thing. Mm. Um, We guaranteed everybody's employment for the first 30 days when almost every hospitality company was furloughing everybody because they're like, I don't know what's going on. We said, we got you. We don't know what's going to happen. The changes are coming so fast and so furious. And, you know, we got to the end of that 30 days and we extended almost all of those protections, and we ultimately ended up making the dollar an hour increase that we gave people permanent in June, when a lot of other people pulled back on that and somehow mm. determined that in Ju- June or July that everything was, no was longer fine, hazard pay. as if as if it was <laughs> fine. Yeah, here we, here we sit, almost twelve months later. Yeah, and and so I think, you know, it was much more about our initial response and commitment than it was about things that we've had to do along the way. And I think Mm. what that did is it set the tone for a lot of the decisions that we made along the way, you know, here in June and July, the country and the States faced a lot of reckoning around racial injustice. And and we provided paid time off for people to protest. Mm. And like at the time, you know, people are like, what are you doing? Like, Mm -hmm. how are you taking sides on an issue? And back to the earlier conversation, like, you can't divorce who people are from what they do at work in terms of their emotional well-being. And so, I mean, we're looking at our family members and saying, how do we help support them? Well, they want to mm. be there. Like, this is an issue that matters. And, and if it's an issue that matters to the company, it matters to me as the leader because ultimately that affects how people show up and, and whether they feel safe. And so I think taking that step and extending paid time off for activism as a next step sort of put more emotional you know, deposits into the bank account. Yeah. Come the fall, we closed all of our pizza shops on election day. Like election day in the United States was a disaster in terms of logistics, right? You had a pandemic, you had disinformation, you had suppression, Mm. and like all these other brands giving people paid time off. Great. Love it. But the problem is, you know, with transportation disruption and suppression activities and everything else, like Mm. two to three hours might not be enough time.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because, you know, the line could be four or five hours. And so we just closed the business proactively and told people, you don't have to worry about it. We'll pay you for the day. Whenever you can get out there and vote, whether it's early voting or on the day of, do it. Like, we want to make sure you can exercise your right. Mm. We turned our pizza shops into registration hubs. We encouraged people to be able to, to get other people active in voting. And I think all of those things are not, they're not the kinds of things that most companies think about. Right. You don't, you yeah. think about like, do you have a foosball table? Like, is there happy hour on Thursday? <laughs> and the reality is like, that stuff is okay. I mean, it's fun. Like, it's yeah. great. I'm not going to knock having a foosball table or, or, or a, or a, keg, a keg of beer in the office. But mm. um, in this moment, in this crisis, solving for those basic needs of people feeling safe in and out of work people feeling like the company they work for has their back and is on the right side of history yeah and and feeling like their company is going to understand that without them being able to and being willing to be on the front lines risking their health and well-being mm. during this like we don't have a business i don't have a job and yeah. you know we would not be where we are without several hundred hourly workers willing to put up with that, to put mm. up with disruptive bus schedules and lift drivers and, you know, guests who refuse to wear a mask or whatever. Like, it's just, I mean, it there, it is hazard pay. And like, mm. you know, I think all of those deposits that we made were critical in building trust. And I think we can't stop. We have to continue to not take for granted the responsibility we have to represent the interests of the people who are representing ours.
0: Yeah, for sure. Because that—that was going to be my next question. Like, is it—is it now a challenge that, um, that you'll always—I don't know how to frame this properly. You'll—it's always going to be important for you guys to have a political message or or be be you know um um come out the gate and have a have a conversation about certain issues that come up. Like, how do you decide as a brand now, like what you've what you've talked about with Black Lives Matter and talking about. Obviously the election and 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 voting rights are really, really obvious things do you do you now look at your value set as an pizza and say, okay, well, these are the things that we talk about as a brand and these are things that are important because they're part of our value is that is that how you sort of go to market and have that conversation with your consumers and your team?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we've been as a brand born and raised here in d c mm. uh d c is a is a city that is very different than a lot of other cities in the united states i mean there's a long history here at both as the capital of the united states but also as a crossroads between the north and south Mm. and like even between the areas around dc there's very different uh racial and socioeconomic groups uh, that make up the city yeah and you know for that reason the issues that tend to affect this city tend to affect our people. Mm. And those then in turn become our responsibility to have yeah. a point of view on. Mm-hmm. I think, it, you know, it, there's a lot of talk in these days about sustainability, right? People yes. talk about, um, you know, using sustainable and compostable product packaging, mm-hmm. you know, like forks and knives that are compostable. But I think the most important resource that has to be sustainable for a restaurant is people. Yes. And so much of the hospitality industry treats the human component of it as disposable. Yeah. They they see high turnover, they see young kids, and they think, well, whatever, like we'll just hire another one. Hence, continuing to fight to suppress the average wage. Like, yeah. If you can't have low turnover, it's in your best interest to have low wages so Mm. that at least it doesn't cost you money when you make a mistake.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Our our take is the opposite. Our take is like wouldn't you have less if you actually paid people a wage that allowed them to focus on the work they were performing? Yes. And if you believe in that, then you kind of have to take it a step or a bridge further and say – shouldn't you advocate for the issues that are important to the people who work for you because it will allow them to be even more present Mm. when they are at work and they are stewards of your brand. Yes. And so, you know, instead of seeing it as a cost or instead of seeing it as taking a stance politically for the Mm. purpose of having to be on one side or another, Mm. it's really about being behind and supportive of your employees. Yes. And and I think that there are a lot of businesses, especially a lot of um, globalized businesses here in the States, that have uncovered even in the last two weeks, um, since yeah. the attempted insurrection on the U S Capitol, mm. how important it is to be behind their employees and those interests. Like the companies are starting to really understand that, like sitting on the sidelines is actually not okay. Like, yes. Your, your employees want to know that you will fight for issues that matter to them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's important to caveat it with this. Occasionally we get sort of pegged as being political. Um, what I, what I would say is we are activists. That's mm, different. Mm-hmm. Like you can be an activist and not not a pacifist when it comes to the issues that matter to your employees. And we will always champion issues that matter to our employees. They will probably typically be on one side of the political spectrum versus mm, the other, mm-hmm. but not always. Mm. And at the heart of who we are is the symbol of the ampersand, yes. which stands for unity mm. and unity to us is about inclusivity it is about acceptance it is about diverse viewpoints but i think the important thing to to anchor in is you have to have truth right like we've we've suffered in in the states specifically for the last four years with a lot of decay of truth over time Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. kind of an obfuscation of what the facts are on anything yes and and that's that's problematic as long as you agree on the facts it's okay to have a different perspective on how to solve it but like if poverty is an issue, then it's an issue. We yes. can have different perspectives about the best way to solve it, but we can't pretend like it doesn't exist. And mm. so I think and pizza sees its responsibility as acknowledging truth when we see it and championing a resolution of that truth on behalf of our staff.
0: Yeah, and I just thank God you do like it, It's just such an important framework for brands as be, as, as we reflect on, you know, during this time is how food brands are so, so important to our community that, that you know, Uh, Food brands need to have a voice too. So I champion what you guys are doing. It's just fantastic to see. Um, Andy, a couple of questions before I let you go. Um, I'm really curious to know if you were surprised by anything that happened with your team during this time in a really positive way because you've got such a people-focused led organization that has so many, I imagine, fantastic moments every day for your guests and for your staff. Like, but did anything surprise you during, you know, um, 2020 that just really, um, made you love the team even more?
1: <laughs> that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to kind of narrow in on like, gosh, what would really stand out? I think mm. one of the aspects of the business that pleasantly surprised me and that I just think is a testament to how incredible the team is. Mm-hmm we opened more locations, more new locations in 2020 than we have in any year of the company's existence. (laughs) And most brands were not taking that path. Yes. Like everybody was hunkering down, Mm. trying to save, preserve cash. Mm -hmm. Like why would you be spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars building more pizza shops when you don't know what the future is going to hold. And I think, um, you know, it's one thing for, for me, at, you know, to set that direction for my team and say, this is where we're going. Yeah. It's another entirely for all of them to not only embrace it, but to execute it really well. And yes. so I think what made me exceptionally proud is that, you know, there was a period of time where between late, late September and mid November mm-hmm. across an eight week stretch, we opened six new pizza shops in that eight week window. Wow. And like to open six new locations in eight weeks during a pandemic, social distancing, masks, the lack of all the things that most restaurateurs rely upon to drive business to new locations and grand openings. We couldn't sample, we couldn't invite big groups of people. We had to get creative. We had to really leverage our digital chops. I was just, I was blown away and just really, really proud of the team because that doesn't just happen by setting a clear direction that takes immense cross-functional support of one another Mm. and a belief in what they're growing because many people could look at that and say, how the heck, why would you spend millions of dollars of precious cash during a pandemic to do that? Yes. And I think it just speaks to the confidence that, that I have in them and that they had in each other.
0: Yeah. And it speaks to how, yeah, it speaks to how fantastic your your team is. and, And you're right. Like everything we've talked about in this podcast is how amazing the team is and how human capital has got the brand to where it is and, and not um, just fantastic tech or fantastic branding. It's human capital at the end of the day. So um, I definitely welcome that. Um, my last question to you, Andy, before I let you go, is um, what are you looking forward to in 2021, both from a personal standpoint and and also professionally for the brand?
1: Um, I'll start professionally and just say, mm-hmm. you know, I think, um, as pandemic restrictions and consumer behaviors begin to normalize. And I, you know, I, we, I believe it will happen. I think predicting exactly the degree to which and the exact timing is a bit of a fool's errand for us here in the States. But I think I hold a a lot of optimism that we're headed that direction. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to having the, the ability to, to increase the personal touch that we have with our customers, like as good of a digital brand as we are yes. and as good of a branding engine as we are, mm-hmm. there is something to be said for just being able to like have the hospitality aspect of the business back to be yeah. able to see people's faces and see people's smiles on the other side of the line and mm-hmm. like understand what makes restaurants such a special and important part of the community. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that because I think that affirmation will be big for the family members at Ann pizza to mm-hmm. sort of see the other side of that and see that appreciation returned to them in person occasionally and not just virtually yes and on the personal front i'm looking forward to going out to eat more often again like <laughs> my wife and i haven't had like a legit date night in almost a year wow and you know, i'm looking forward to visiting in a dining room in a full service restaurant and sitting down and enjoying a meal at some of my favorite places and you know, the independent restaurant industry here in DC and really throughout the country has just been annihilated Mm -hmm. by this for a long period in time. And I am looking forward to going back and like having a great bottle of wine and sitting down in a a restaurant and just having a chance to like commune in that environment again. So um, I think 2021 is a, there's a ton of optimism that we have certainly over the last few days, most Americans are feeling, I think, a, a like a real reset of optimism and hope and sort of forward looking cadence, one yes. that's grounded in unity and one that I think gives us a lot of uh, a lot of hope that as stewards of the hospitality industry, like we can also build back better. And I think there's something really important for restaurateurs to, to take a look at as they look at 21 and beyond, which is okay, you get a chance to rethink a lot of elements of the model of your business. Like, Mm. what would you do over again? Like, if you didn't have to be beholden to year-over-year results and you could rewrite what success looks like, what would it be? And I think my hope is that a lot of these leaders will look to their people and think about what investments they can make in them to truly make their brand and, and vision scalable because at the end of the day it comes down to hundreds if not thousands and tens of thousands of people as stewards of your culture and your mission and and I think this is a good time to rethink that because we may not get another time another chance for a really long time
0: yeah I absolutely agree I think um, the brands that have real brands um, are really showing in this crisis how fantastic they are and not being me too brand so um, I really do appreciate your time Andy thanks so much um, Thanks, what, Sean. What's the best way that people can contact you or find out more about the brand?
1: Oh, great. Um, so, if they're in the States, um, they can text us at a short code. Um, cool. We do all of our communication via text, which is 200-03. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you can text us. The pizza plug is on the other line. We can hook you up. We can talk about culture. We can flip you a discount. We can tell you where your nearest shop is. Wow. Uh, but, but we love to get in touch with people and, and drive them into our text line to learn mm-hmm. more about and follow the brand. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can check us out at andpizza.com. It's A-N-D, pizza.com. Mm-hmm. Uh And, you know, if you're here on the mid-Atlantic coast of the U.S., Uh, come find us you can hit me up um you know and uh and we'll be happy to show you a good time
0: as as always linked up in the show notes so andy thanks so much for your time i really do appreciate it
1: thanks sean take care man thanks
0: so much for listening to this episode of principal hospitality the podcast i hope you really got something out of it as i said at the start of the podcast if you can like comment and share this with people either inside the industry or people outside the industry which you think are going to find it valuable then it would mean the world to us suppose so please do that also wanted to make sure that i'm actually introducing my co-founder sash fernando from principal design one of the most amazing design studios in melbourne if not the country they're award-winning they are dealing in strategy branding digital design and graphic design so make sure you just check them out at principal design.com.au and if you don't know me and what i do i come from over 20 years in the hospital industry and i've got my brand called open pantry consulting so all you need to do is go to open and you'll be able to find out everything that i involve myself with in this fantastic industry I hope you enjoyed this podcast. It's going to be an exciting 2021 for us. We're looking forward to sharing it with you. Until next time, please stay safe. And look after each other.